Let's dig in. Matthew chapter 8. Um, insiders and outsiders. Insiders and outsiders. I bet every single one of us in this room uh, is dancing with those categories to some degree. Insider, outsider. What makes you feel like you're on the inside? And what is it that causes you to feel like you're on the outside? I remember in college, um, one of my favorite jobs, I had, I've had a number of jobs, something like 30 or something in my life. And, and when I was in college, I, I don't think I have a commitment problem. I've just had a lot of jobs. Uh, that sounds like a defense, but whatever. See, I'm not funny. Um, uh, in college, I got this great, great job in this high rise in the middle of downtown Seattle. Um, I was tired of working restaurant and retail, and I, and, I, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, and so I thought I might as well throw myself into the corporate world and see if I like that. Um, and that took a few different stops. Worked at a credit card company for a little bit. That sucked. That was one of two jobs I didn't like out of 30. Um, I worked at a hotel and loved it. I was a bellman, and I got to polish like brass on doors, help people with their luggage, and I thought that was amazing. Um, and I wanted to maybe work in that forever. But then there's really interesting opportunity came up for me to work at this engineering company, and I didn't know anything about computers or engineering, um, but uh, apparently I did okay in an interview. Um, got a job there, but I, I had to, this isn't in my notes, I gotta go quick, doesn't matter, got a cool job. Anyway, they gave me a key card, that's the point. They gave me a key card that I could wear on my belt and it let me in at 24 hours a day into this huge high rise in the middle of downtown Seattle. And they could have paid me like half as much and I would have said yes because of the key card. Do you know what I mean? Like, I felt like such a baller getting off the public bus in Seattle. Everybody rides public, not everybody, but cool kids ride public buses. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I get off the bus, and, and because this job was so sweet, I could work any hour of the day as much as I want or as little as I wanted as long as I got stuff done. Um, and I, there was a report on sort of what I completed when I clocked in. And so, like, during final seasons and midterms, like, I would sometimes go in at, like, 11 o'clock at night and, and work on my like, homework for two hours and then crack out two or three hours of work and go home at like four in the morning. It didn't matter. Any time of the day I'd get into this big high rise that seemed like that's where cool people exist. Uh, and I, any time of the day, I felt like I was an insider. And that was like this huge deal because I had a key card. Maybe some of you have a code to the double glass doors downstairs. Some of you shouldn't have that code. But some of you have that code by the parking lot <coughs> and it makes you feel like an insider. Some of you don't even care. You just want to use that code because it makes you feel like an insider. If you don't know how to get into the building because Jason didn't show up early enough to open it for you and you're knocking on doors and windows and it's dark inside and you can't figure out how to get in, that contributes to probably you feeling like an outsider, yeah? In the hub downstairs, some of you haven't been to the hub, but it's just, we invite you every week. Try it out. I promise if anybody bites, it's not that scary. There's also food. Um, okay, but your, your face shows up on an Instagram account of an organization that you love. I feel like an insider. You see a bunch of friends posting pictures of, of something that you were at and you're the only person that's not in the pictures. You feel like an outsider. You come here tonight and someone in leadership knows your name. Maybe I'm an insider. Maybe I'm an insider. Someone mistakenly calls you Carl. Maybe you're an outsider. You're in the right group me out of the 55 that you're in. Insider. You're not in the right group, me outsider. Someone today told me that they got invited to this. I think Hope, you said something about the house randos group me, okay? Uh, which I think is totally lame, and you probably shouldn't be in it. None of you. I think group me is, I think, of the devil. Uh, and it just contributes to enormous amounts of anxiety and, and, and weird communication practices. I don't know how else to communicate with you right now, but group me 
I don't think is helpful. And we had one student that I adore in this ministry, and he said, um, you know, when I got invited to the House Randos group me this year, um, I was like, how come I haven't been invited for the past three years? And I was like, doggone it. Like, no matter what, just things contribute to us feeling like we're on the outside, yeah? Never mind that that just got, that wasn't supposed to exist, by the way. It was a summer group me that nobody left. <laughs> and I finally changed the name to Randos because I didn't want people thinking they're supposed to come here for prayer requests uh, and get faithful responses because as soon as you say your prayer request about somebody in your life that's really sick and the next person says going to cookout 55 likes you know and everybody goes but nobody responds to the prayer request what a terrible form of communication if somebody's looking for help you know and so I was like we got to change the name just so it's not serious I'm sorry if you've asked for prayers and group me call me Let's pray with you. Okay, let's move on. Um, Insiders, outsiders. This happens with families too. Like last year I talked with a student, get this, this is heartbreaking, whose whole family, including many extended family, had a text thread about him that he wasn't included on, y'all. Does that make you feel like an insider or an outsider? When you feel known and seen and heard and understood, it contributes to you feeling like you're on the inside of things. When you feel unknown, unseen, unheard, misunderstood, you feel like you're on the outside of things. As we look at at Jesus and our passage of Scripture this evening, I want you to keep your eye on this dynamic, insider, outsider, insider, outsider. Because I think we aren't very familiar with the names and the people groups in the story. Most of you do not read the Bible very regularly um, or have much understanding of it. Um, and, And I'm not saying that to shame you. I'm saying because we don't know the stuff that would have jumped out of the text for the original hearers of these stories and the readers of these stories, we've got to do a little work sometimes because when you run across something like a Roman centurion, you don't immediately go, yo, what's Jesus doing talking to him? You just go, oh, interesting, Rome. But, but, but for a Jewish reader of that time, that would have been like, yo, wait a minute. And I want you to, to pay attention to an insider-outsider dynamic, okay, in this story. Trust me, this is all about who's in and who's out And every single one of us wants to be in. And we hate feeling left out. Let's pray. Father, um, send your spirit, please. That the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts would be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So our passage of scripture tonight picks up uh, just after Jesus had come down from preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know this sermon, Please write this down in your notes, okay? Please write this down. Matthew 5-7, okay? So if you don't know, the book of Matthew is divided up into a bunch of chapters. That wasn't original. Later on in the church, we thought, you know what? We talk about this all the time. It's really hard to say, like, you know, like the seventh page of that one manuscript, like four paragraphs down, third word in. So at some point, somebody put a bunch of names and our numbers next to stuff. Matthew chapters 5-7 through seven is traditionally known as the Sermon on the Mount. I know most people don't spend much time reading the Bible. I just want to recommend that this is one of the most important teachings in the history of the world. If there are three Bible passages that I would love for you to read, if you only read three, this is one. Matthew chapters five through seven, top five, top three passages of Scripture. Okay, Jesus had just come down from preaching this magnificent sermon, and right away he encounters a leper. So he comes down the mountain after preaching the sermon. People were like, yo, who teaches like this? He comes down the mountain, runs into a leper. I spent a couple weeks on a leper colony. Before, True story, before I moved to Chattanooga. I was on this mission trip with a bunch of college students in Thailand. Um, and, and this is just nuts. There was an actual leper colony. I didn't know that they existed before we signed up to go work there. Um, and this disease, which is totally curable today. Uh, there was 100 and some odd cases of leprosy in the United States last year. I just looked that stat up just to see how common it is. Super hard to get. It's communicable. 
this is really gross, sorry. Some of you like nursing majors, or, or, or um, sorry about, I just reminded nursing majors of deadlines, sorry. Um, the, uh, the, I guess you can get it from like droplets from somebody's nose or mouth, so it's like really hard to get unless you're making out with somebody a lot, you know? Uh, so if you know somebody has leprosy, don't make out with them. Get them cured, then kiss them, um, or maybe after you're married. Anyway, we'll keep going. <laughs> um, this disease is totally curable. Um, so, so, like, for me, that wasn't funny. I was just being serious, but there you go. Uh, um, but this disease made people so afraid that they put all the lepers in a small village together. It's curable, but that's what they did. They put them all together. Matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, is heartbreaking, but at the time that I went, um, 20% of the gross national product of Thailand was all from the sex trade. 20% of all money made when I went was from the sex trade. Um, and so this, this leper colony was grandparents and grandkids. And you know what all the parents were doing? This is the only way to make money to support their relatives. And a bunch of rich, fat, white guys kept traveling to Thailand to pay for the people in the middle, you know? And so we got to work with these grandparents and these kids in this leper colony that was isolated. It's already rural, and it was even isolated even more. And the two people serving that community were working with a group called Compassion International. And so we got to sort of partner with them on the ground uh, for a couple of weeks while we were there. Um, but these people were, people were just terrified of these people. They were outsiders from their community. And this is in the year 2005. The insiders were afraid of getting this disease. And if you got leprosy, you can't hide, friends. The disease manifests itself with sores on your skin. It's not in and of itself painful. Actually, you can't feel anything, which is the problem with leprosy. So you might burn yourself while cooking and not realize it until the smell of your fingers burning comes to your senses. There there have been cases in this colony where we were working. There were people who didn't have toes because while they were sleeping at night, some animal was nibbling on their toes and they just slept right through it because they don't have feeling. And so leprosy, this is actually a really interesting, there's a whole kind of maybe sermon attached to this on the value of pain and suffering. Because when some, the problem with leprosy is that you can't feel anymore. And so your body just starts deteriorating and sort of this apathy that, that wears on its skin and begins fading away. Because you can't feel pain. That's really why it's a problem, is because you can't feel pain. Um, this is what was happening. Um, so your skin and your gut body begin to, to sort of degrade and look worse and worse, more noticeable. And then lepers get outcast when this happens. And in every, literally every populated continent throughout history, there are stories of lepers being outcast. Okay, so I got to serve with them for two weeks. It was rad for the Hebrew people, the people of God. The lepers were commanded to wear very particular clothes. It wasn't curable at the time. The lepers were commanded to wear very particular of clothing so that they didn't give leprosy to others because it wasn't curable at the time so that they didn't make others unclean and diseased. The person was supposed to live alone outside of the general population and if anyone came close to them, they were supposed to shout, unclean, unclean which was a kindness that the outsider was supposed to demonstrate to the insider so that the insider didn't become an outsider. They warned people. If a disciple of Jesus raised in the Hebrew tradition came into contact with a leper, they would have been unclean as well until evening in a bath. So they would have had to go home, bathe, take a bath, or else they weren't allowed to go into the religious communities, into the center of, the, of the, really the social life and make anybody else unclean or risk them getting leprosy. Okay, this is the norm that would have existed at the time that Jesus came down the mountain from the sermon. But when he came down the mountain after proclaiming what his kingdom was like, so the Sermon on the Mount is, a leper came toward him, which isn't what a leper is supposed to do. But a leper, maybe this guy heard something about Jesus' kingdom that made him have a boldness to come toward him. Maybe when Jesus, when his word is proclaimed, people that are normally on the outside feel a sense of boldness to be able to come toward him. I don't know if they feel a boldness to come toward you 
or toward me. But it strikes me as I read the Gospels that people on the outside feel like a boldness to come toward Jesus. This leper came uh, close to him, and, and Jesus touches him. But instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the leper becomes clean. And what if in the kingdom of God, unclean things become clean, friends? What if in the kingdom of God, insiders don't need to be afraid of outsiders anymore? What if in the kingdom of God, fear isn't the operating principle? What if love is? And what if the distinction between insiders and outsiders starts to break down? Well, that's not even our passage of Scripture today, okay? But Jesus does the unthinkable. An outsider moves toward him, and instead of recoiling and telling the leper that he shouldn't have come toward him, Jesus touches him and heals him. And right after this, our text picks up in Matthew chapter 8 with another outsider coming toward Jesus. This time it's not someone who's physically unclean, but it's a cultural outsider. Think of, um, th- this is the best example I can think of, and, re- and so this, this metaphor is going to break down. I'm just trying to be relevant, I guess, I don't know, but I- I've had a lot of thoughts about the Super Bowl halftime show, uh, okay? Um, so imagine if like a really woke Latinx J-Lo comes down from the dancing pole in her skin-tight Versace outfit, and she moves toward your politically and religiously ultra-conservative grandmother for a hug. Or imagine that our president, after the Super Bowl, goes to give Shakira a hug. I mean, can you feel the awkwardness of that moment? Like, like cultural differences colliding in a minute, and, and is it appropriate that we come together here? Do you understand that, that kind of tension? I'm just trying to think of something really recent that might have happened that, that would create that kind of tension, right? Something like that tension's going on here. The leper wouldn't have been able to participate in the life of the community. The Roman soldier, the centurion is his actual title. He's just a Roman soldier. He, he wouldn't have been able to participate in the inner life of the community, their dinner table and their worship services, which always mark the inner life of our communities. The gospel writer Matthew is making a point that the outsiders are coming to Jesus and he doesn't say no clean yourself up he doesn't say are you sure you can come in here is this where you're supposed to be i can't believe that you did that jesus receives them let's look at what happens in matthew chapter 8 would you put that on the screen real quick on the first one verse 5 when he jesus that's he when jesus had entered capernaum A centurion, a Roman soldier, came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant, uh, probably his son, um, based on the Greek, whatever. Uh, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. So listen, this outsider comes to Jesus, not just any outsider, a Roman soldier. So this is someone who would have been seen as an enemy of the Hebrews because they were occupying Israel. Israel, the, the, the Hebrew people wanted their homeland and Israel was in dominance, at the, or the Rome was in dominance at the time. And this guy, who, who is a cultural outsider because he's not a Hebrew, he's not a Jew, and he's also a Roman soldier in dominance. He's, he's part of the institution that's oppressive. This outsider comes toward Jesus and he calls Jesus Lord. And look, he just tells the Jesus the problem. He doesn't say, will you please, or can you, or make any particular request of Jesus. He simply tells Jesus the truth of his situation. I, I posted this quote last week on Instagram while I was studying this passage. I assume most of you don't check my Instagram. I want to share it with you. Uh, would you throw the next quote up, Nia, real quick? Did I, get, I don't know if I gave it to you or not. Here we go. Um, I often have n- no idea what to ask, and that's Okay. Faith mainly talks to the Lord. It often hardly knows what to ask him or how to ask it. 
Sometimes all one needs to do is state the problem. The how and what of help are the Lord's business. Do you know this, friends? Do you know when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, which for some of you this is fantastic news because you, in a room like this, it's a sanctuary, there's some Bibles in pews that you've never opened, uh, you know, people have just, some, maybe two people have their hands up because the rest of us are nervous about what to do with our bodies. We don't, we don't really touch with our bodies. Don't know about how to worship God with our bodies, maybe. I don't know. But, um, but this is a room where maybe you think everybody's familiar with prayer. Most of you are probably terrified to pray with others or pray out loud, I know. And hopefully there's some solidarity and encouragement that the very students of Jesus, after spending some time with them, say, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And Jesus didn't say, like, here's the five steps, here's the acronyms, Here's the thing he said, when you pray, pray like this. Boom, boom, boom. It's very matter of fact. It moves quickly through everything. It's a whole, so we did a whole summer on the Lord's Prayer a couple years ago. Um, it is a robust sermon, but it's basically uh, who we are, what God wants to do. God, give us help today. We need it. Forgive us. Lead us in a better way. Thanks. Amen. It's pretty quick. We pray it every week together. Right after that, Jesus had a little commentary. You know what he said? He said, do not be like others who think that their big words and their many words give them a hearing. In other words, you don't need to say much for God to hear you. Just talk to him. Here's how you should pray, simply. That's literally, this, that's a good summary of Jesus' wisdom on prayer. From the mouth of Jesus, if you want to know his instruction on prayer, it's not, a, I'm fine with acronyms, I'm fine with like strategies, because often what they do is they reveal new ways of communicating, right? I get that, I get that. But can you imagine if in my relationship with my wife, every time I went on a date, I, I had a conversation with her that went through an acronym. That I went, I need to like adore her, and I need to thank her, and I need to make petitions of her. I need to, like, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, if I, maybe that's helpful to go, hey, Jason, when's the last time you talked to your wife about something that isn't work or kids? And I go, ooh, geez, I gotta talk to her about something else. Okay. Uh, you know, or whatever. You see, you know, when's the last time you asked her about it? That's great to get some advice so that it opens up some new ways of communication. I'm all for that. I'm not down on acronyms or whatever. I'm saying at the basic root, when, when, if you wanna know what it looks like to pray, just talk to Jesus and listen to Jesus. That's it. And if you don't know what to say, that's okay. Matter of fact, my favorite, my favorite quote about prayer comes from Mother Teresa, and she was asked once, um, what do you say to God when you pray? And she goes, oh, I just listen. And then the interviewer said, well, what does God say? He goes, oh, he just listens. It's my favorite quote on prayer. Okay, let's move. Um, but I want you, some of you, this, that's what you need. Some of you, I, I swear to you, there's so much in this text tonight. I think some of you, what you need to hear is it's okay that you don't know what to ask for when you pray. It's okay that you don't play God. Knowing how to solve everything, knowing exactly what the problem is and all the things and the ways it's a problem, that all God, all, Jesus seems just fine when somebody says, Lord, my son is sick. Amen. That is a fine prayer, friends. We'll see how fine Jesus thinks it is shortly here. The Roman soldier just tells Jesus what's up. And Jesus is practically, if we look at the text, on his way before he's done talking. And so let's look at verse 6. Nia, if you put that up. Then this guy stops Jesus because Jesus is about to move on his way. Lord, my son is sick. Jesus is ready. 
But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. There's a lot here. I'm just trying to make this kind of brief, okay? But summary, Jesus, no need to come. Just say the word. It's kind of a summary of what this guy says, right? Like, Jesus, you don't need to come. Jesus is ready to go. You don't need to come. Just say the word. There's so much in this, friends. First, he thinks he is unworthy to have Jesus come under his roof. Look at this. This guy thinks he's unworthy to have Jesus come under his roof. He would know that the Hebrew people wouldn't come into his home as an outsider. He would know this. Hebrew people do not go into the house of a Gentile, which is a non-Hebrew person at that time. That's what they call them, anybody who's not Hebrew. Um, he would know that, that if Jesus, if you come into my house, that's not okay for your people. You guys are not okay with that. And my heart breaks for this because of how often I see outsiders trying to accommodate insiders and how little insiders accommodate outsiders, friends. Even in the hub down here, when someone new comes in, I see some of the same things happen. When someone new comes in, they're often looking around to see where the most appropriate place is for them to sit. Does anyone have their stuff at tables? Is it okay if I use this cup? They ask those questions. I'm sorry, I just used the last of the toilet paper in the bathroom. If you're an insider, it's likely that you leave your stuff on the table, not thinking that an outsider won't know where to sit if every seat looks like it's taken. Or maybe you use the last of the toilet paper, but you just assume that someone else is going to get it, not that an outsider might come in and not know where to find it. Do you see the point? I mean, you literally play out any community. When outsiders come into communities of insiders, at, at best, they're ignored often. At worst, they're snickered at for not knowing the rules that nobody told them. And I think about how often I see people who are on the outside going like, what, what should I wear? Can, am I allowed to go now? Can I come up front now? You know, I, I, one of my friends um, who was from the house came to church with me a few years back we weren't serving communion every week then, and we had this time of communion, and he was um, sitting in a pew. I, I, I think I've shared this with some people here before, sorry. But he was sitting in a pew kind of back halfway in the church, and we all got up to get communion and kind of go up front, and I turned around and looked to see if he was going to come up. I was like, he hadn't been in my church before. I don't know if he knows how to take communion, and I was going to like give him some instructions, say, hey, here's what you do. You don't need to. I was going to try to care for this guy who was on the outside, right? He just came for the first time. And he stood up, and then he stood down, and then he stood up, and then he sat down, and then he stood four times. He did that, and he, he just was so torn about what to do, and he was sitting all by himself, and nobody went over to him and just said, hey, let me do this with you and show you how it's done. And I, but I watched him, and he wasn't just worried about whether he should take communion or not. He was trying to figure out how to appropriately accommodate everybody else who was an insider, you see? He didn't want to upset the system. I see this all the time in all sorts of clubs, communities, family groups, friend groups. Insiders have a struggle to think about outsiders, and outsiders are constantly accommodating insiders. So too this Roman soldier who says, Jesus, you don't need to come under my roof. You don't need to do that. In the kingdom of God, insiders make room for outsiders. Citizens of the kingdom of God consider others and outdo them in honor. And here, this Roman soldier, this outsider, is a living like a citizen of the kingdom of God. Because he's trying to outdo another person in honor. And friends, this isn't like a random Tuesday. His son is paralyzed and dying. Not wanting to bring this Jewish teacher into shame, he says, you're not worthy of coming under my roof. 
Of course, we'll see in a second that Jesus finds him worthy to enter heaven. Jesus, there's no need to come. Just say the word. Notice that this man doesn't ask Jesus to pray for him. This is really heady. Some of you Bible nerds, some of you that are real, I do read the Bible, I might like this one a lot. Jesus doesn't ask, he, this man doesn't ask Jesus to pray for him. He doesn't ask Jesus to speak to God for him or go to God for him or Jesus, will you ask God to heal my son? He assumes that Jesus has the authority to simply speak and impossible things happen. Just say the word. Just say the word. I know my son will be healed. Let's move forward to verse 10, if you would, Nia. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. This is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that the word faith comes up. And what do you notice about it? Remember what I told you not to forget. Insider, outsider. The first time faith in Jesus is brought up in the Gospel of Matthew, it's Jesus marveling at the faith of an outsider not an insider. He actually turns to the insiders and he says, wow, I haven't found this kind of faith among all the insiders. Is anyone here for the first time tonight? Would you raise your hand? Here for the first time? Okay, we got one. Hey, what's up? I'm glad you're here. All right, so let's imagine, let's imagine that, um, that if, if you're here for the first time, that right after this service, you stick around for a little bit and you help clean up and I come up to you and I say to you, wow, I haven't seen anyone serve this well even among all my student interns and now imagine that all the student interns are gathered around me as i say it student interns if you guys don't know this our student interns give a ton to y'all and to the community of what god to this community to what god is doing through the house i mean it's crazy how much they serve multiply the tension that might be felt in that moment as our student interns were like, did Jason just say that? Multiply that tension by 2,000 years and load it with the weight of eternity. It's a really shocking moment and statement. I haven't seen this kind of faith even among all the insiders. And they're all gathered around him. And rather than backing off from that statement when Jesus realizes that this, maybe he intended it, I'm sure, but that this is all of a sudden pretty intense. Rather than backing off from that statement, Jesus leads into it. And he turns to the insiders now and he says this to them in the next slide, if you would, Nia. Verse 11, I tell you, now the insiders, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are their ancestors, the insiders' ancestors, in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, insiders, will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So not only does Jesus tell them that he has never seen faith like this outsider's faith, but that many who think they are inside will be out. And many who think they're outside will be in. Now listen, I gotta say a word about hell because that's what Jesus is talking about. Um, I, 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 I want this to go deep. I'm not gonna repeat it. I'm just gonna say it once. All of Jesus' warnings about hell are directed to insiders. You don't see Jesus on a soapbox telling randos that they're going to hell. No one in the New Testament speaks more about hell or more often than Jesus, and Jesus speaks about it as a warning to those who think they're in. So whatever you think of hell, all I want to say tonight is that it's serious, and Jesus talks about it to disrupt the comfort of insiders and to keep them in. 
He doesn't bring it up to keep you out or scare you away or make you doubt what you don't need to doubt. But if you think you're comfortable in your exclusivity, if you remind yourself often that God loves you because you're not like them, you will find Jesus warning you about the dangers of hell. You should know that all of the earliest Christians applied all of the threats of hell to the church herself. To the insiders following him, Jesus says, you will be surprised. Careful. And then, he, and, and listen, friends, it is so hard to convince insiders that they're insiders. But if in a room like this, you're looking over your shoulder sometimes, and somebody, because of a certain lifestyle, because of a pedigree, because of decisions that they've made, because of beliefs that are unformed, ill-formed or something, you're looking over your shoulder and you're like, dude, you're an outsider. Careful. He says these warnings precisely to keep you in, for his church to be on guard about what she thinks it is that keeps her in. To the insiders, he levels warning, but look at what he says to the outsiders. His tone is so different to the outsiders, friends. Will you put this one up again, the next slide up at 13? And to the centurion, so to the insiders, he said, hey, you're going to be surprised. To the outsiders, he says to the centurion, go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. His son was healed that very moment. Go, let it be done for you as you believed. And so we have the first long-distance healing in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's done at the request of an outsider. Here, friends, is an example of why prayer matters. This is an old teaching on prayer. I just need to say a moment, a thing on it. God is known to bless people on the basis of another person's prayer. This happens over and over and over again in the stories of Jesus. If you want examples, come find me. You can also just Google um, God blessing others on other people. I, I don't know what the Google thing is figured out. Um, but over and over again, Jesus is like, your friend's faith has made you well. Here, this guy says, Lord, my son is paralyzed and sick. And Jesus says, go, let it be done as you've believed. This is a, this is a marvelous ex- example of how God, he loves, to, he delights in blessing others on your credit. Do you know that? He loves taking the resources that you have and, and, and giving life to others with your resources. Part of why God loves to do that is because that's so like him. But of all the things we learn about Jesus and his kingdom from this passage, what strikes me most tonight is just how relaxed Jesus is to send this guy away. This is an outsider. And it's like Jesus is like, that's enough for now. He doesn't ask this guy to go on a mission trip. He doesn't ask him to serve uh, in the background, to join a Bible study, to fix his life. Hey, man, listen, uh, you're here. I know you're asking for your son's life, but your soul matters more to me than your son. Hey, uh, Centurion, listen, um, I want to heal your son. I want to heal your servant. I really do. I want to do that, and I want to, I I love how you're coming to me. Um, I just have, I, I want you to go to this class and learn about like 16 things about Christianity you know, this thing that I'm doing? Jesus is super relaxed in this moment with this guy. He came asking for Jesus to heal his son, and Jesus seems to say to the insiders that this guy received heaven because he received Jesus. This last week, uh, last two weeks really, uh, has been really special for me. Um, You on staff know this, but one of my younger brothers is um, 38, and for the first time in 20 years, uh, he initiated a conversation with me about Jesus. I've um, been praying for him for a long time, and um, it's family, y'all. And y'all know how hard it is to talk to family about some things. 
um, and I haven't been able to figure out a way in. And we have a pretty good relationship. We live a very different life. We live a very, we have a very different history. We live a very different life. Um, most people who meet us say, "Are you, you guys are really brothers?" Um, and we have a great time together. Uh, a couple days ago, he sends me a text and he says, "Hey, bro, I've been reading the Bible." And I was like, "I mean, twenty years, y'all. It's older than some of you. I mean, that's longer than some of you've been alive. I've been waiting for this." Um, I mean, when my brother and I started this conversation, text didn't exist. Okay, it didn't exist. Uh, and in, in the year 2000, my brother and I were going for a walk, and I was walking down University Avenue of, um, Wash, outside the University of Washington, um, and this guy from uh, the Faith Baha'i Faith, whatever, um, he was proselytizing on the street, um, and he said, hey, you know, have you heard of the Baha'i Faith? And I said, yeah, 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 because I go to the University of Washington, and I studied comparative religion. Like, I know a lot about world religions, and I wasn't interested. My brother saw that. And my brother put his hand on my chest, and he said, I got this, bro. Uh, my brother's an Enneagram 8, if you must know. And... <laughs> And he goes, I, I love him, and I love Enneagram 8s. And, and my brother goes up to this guy, and he goes, listen, dude, you know Jesus? Uh, and, and, and my brother, by the way, doesn't identify as a Christian. He goes, you know Jesus? And the guy goes, excuse me? And he goes, do you know Jesus? My brother does. Uh, you know, and, and it was just like super intense, and he's like, listen, 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 man. My brother believes Jesus is the son of God. Do you believe that? Uh, and I was a pretty new follower of Jesus at this point, and I was like, yo, dude, this is so intense. And that was this, con- this is the year 2000. We're going through, walking through this neighborhood. I remember where we were when this conversation happens. My brother said this super intense thing to me. He said, I was super confused by this interaction. I was like, do you believe this stuff? And my brother said, I believe that what you believe is right. I just hope I follow Jesus before I die. And it was this really interesting category for me. Um, growing up in Seattle where I was like arguing about faith and trying to figure out stuff. Here my brother believed intellectually that the news of the gospel is right. He just didn't want to submit. I know Jesus is God. I don't want him to be Lord. You see what I'm saying, that dynamic. And it created this sort of interesting category for me. Um, And he asked me to back off uh, and kind of not talk to him about it. And so we've talked before about some things. Like, you know, he's asked me how things have gone with my work or whatever. I don't think he's ever listened to like a sermon. I don't think he's ever heard me preach or anything like that. Um, You know, but he'll check in from time to time. He was really proud of me when I got ordained. Like, he called me to tell me how excited he was that I got ordained. And um, I think he looks up to me a lot and likes me a lot. I like him a lot. look up to him a lot in some ways. And um, anyway, but I never initiated a conversation. So he sends me this text. I've been reading the Bible, bro. And I was like panicked. I was like, don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. Um, And and it was a really beautiful uh, two-text conversation. Um, And then last week, um, we were on Google Duo. I don't think he has an iPhone. We're working on that after Christianity. Um, And he... uh, Order, order of importance. Um, but we're on Google Duo talking, and we're talking about the, the Super Bowl coming up. And my brother, um, in the middle of this conversation, says, out of the blue, he says, hey, bro, do you think I'm married? I said, excuse me, what are you talking about, dude? And he goes, I mean, like, do you think I'm married? Like, I think I'm married in my heart, you know? And he, um, he has this fantastic fiance. Her name's um, Denise, and they've been together for a number of years, living together, and he loves her a lot. And uh, and he says, I think I'm married in my heart, you know, but we've never, like, been in a church, and there wasn't, like, ever, like, a pastor to, like, marry us some. Do you think we're married? I was like, what do you think, man? Which was a total stall tactic. Uh, and uh, I said, what do you think, man? He goes, I don't know, man. I mean, I think we are. But, you know, she, like, she's, like, orthodox, and, you know, she wants to get married in this big Greek church. So she's a first-generation Greek, uh, immigrant from Greece, um, and it's very cultural for her. Uh, she's a deist, probably, if you know what that means. So she believes sort of generally in God and that Jesus probably existed, but, but like, faith for her in, like, a really robust way isn't a thing, you know? Um, like, she wouldn't argue with any of, like, the 
like Christians or something. She'd be like, I don't know. Um, but like, it's a big cultural thing for her, you know? So my brother was like, I think she wants to get married in this like big Greek church, this Orthodox church. Like, what do you think? And, and I was like, man, you know, I mean, if, you know, it might, I'm, this is my way out. And I thought this, thank God for this. I didn't, I think this is like a, the Holy Spirit, man. Uh, this is my level of what the Holy Spirit looks like, friends. I said, maybe you just get like Greek Orthodox for dummies or something, dude. Uh, and he goes, they make that? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'll find you something. And he goes, dude, that'd be sick. And I was like, you should just read it because he doesn't, read, like most of you after call, he doesn't read any books. Um, he was like, uh, I just told him, I was like, you know, I think if you read that, she would just feel really respected um, and honored by the fact that you were even just making attempts to understand the culture within which she grew up. And, my, my, and, I, and I said, you know, you might even like Greek Orthodoxy, man. I don't know. And he goes, you think I would? And I was like, well, I don't really know. There's a lot of mystery to it. I think you might like that. I think you probably like all the smells and bells stuff. You just don't know it. And he was like, huh. Hey, dude, what's it? I mean, are they are Orthodox Christians? And I was like, yeah, man, I think they're Christians. He's like, what's the difference between like what you believe and what they believe? And I was like, well, and I mean, again, I'm like, how do I, I mean, like I write, you know, 20 page papers on this, but how do I talk about it over Google Duo with my brother, you know? And he goes, he goes, is it like NFL divisions? And I was like, yeah, actually, that's a, really, that's a really great way of understanding the difference. Like, you know, run first or like spread offense. Yeah, different priority defense. Yeah, different priority. Yeah, it makes sense. And he was like, yeah, give me that book, man. That'd be cool. Um, so our conversation went back to football and we ended it, whatever. I got off the, we got off Google Duo. I started crying, thanking God for that conversation. And, and I tell you that story because my brother, he identifies as an outsider. Um, my brother would tell you, just like you told that guy on the street one day, he, my brother would tell you that he knows I'm going to heaven. He just doesn't know if he is. Um, I actually asked him, I said, can I share this story with folks? I'm preaching a sermon to him. Can I share it? And he said, and I quote, anything for life eternal, bro. Um, that's what he said, which was like, <laughs> totally warms my heart, you know? Um, but listen, there's this moment for me, y'all. Like, I am an, I'm an insider. Like, I'm an Anglican priest, I'm a pastor to college students. I'm a minister of the gospel. And Jesus, like, warns me. And he reminds me to receive him however he leads and to not lay burdens that are too heavy on others and to remember that he is ever and always on the fringes, moving toward the poor, the orphan, the widow, the meek, the outsider. And if I want to meet him, I can meet him there, which puts me in solidarity with an outsider. And think about what that does. Doesn't that mean, friends, that I too am an outsider now where Jesus is meeting me? And to all of us out there, outside the camp, so to speak, if you read the book of Hebrews, outside the camp, so to speak, we hear the Lord of all creation say this. This is from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me all who, are, who, are, who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I want to read this again, and I don't know what your image of God is. I don't know what you think God's posture is toward you. But right now, friends, I want to, I want to encourage you to imagine, because this is true, I just want you to imagine it now, that the God of all creation is saying this to you, that this is God's posture toward you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I got off this 
call with my brother, I was torn because in, uh, I, I've, been, I've had theological training. I've been in the church for 20 years now and I've been preaching for 17 of those years. So I've been in the church longer than 22 years, I guess, preaching for 17. Um, and, and in my mind, I'm like, it's more complicated than NFL divisions. And I can talk to you about what, what the Orthodox, I think, get right, and where maybe not, and, and, and evangelical Protestants, maybe, and, and what the Catholics, what do we do with the Catholics, and, and the Mormons. I, what, I'll talk about, okay, we can talk about all these things, and I want to tease this stuff out and, and talk about the complications and the nuances and whatever, but I had this distinct sense when I got off the phone that my brother is in safer hands than I am. Because here's the trick, friends. Am I in danger after being in the church for, for a while, preaching the scriptures, reading the Bible a lot? Uh, you know, I, I have spiritual disciplines that I practice or something, whatever. That I stand in front of Jesus' throne one day, do I think I'm in because of all those things? Because here's the thing I know about my brother. I know my brother is going to stand before Jesus one day, and, and if Jesus says to him, dude, you're not in, you know what my brother's going to say? He's going to say, I understand. And no, he will. Because my brother doesn't think he can earn it. It's all grace. And I'm 100% convinced, when I read the gospel accounts, my, my brother is precisely the kind of person that Jesus is like, heck yeah. Heck yeah. And to everybody else who's on the inside going like, but he, he can't just say the difference in churches is like NFL divisions. And I go, yeah, right. Most people in the world are more like him than like me. Most people in the world don't have time for the ways I explain things. They got other things that they're doing. They're loving people in different ways. I'm not making comments about cohabitating right now. I'm not making, if, if my brother follows Jesus, God will dwell up in him new desires for things, 100%. Jesus says, even in the passage I read, uh, when he says, come to me, he says, learn from me and take his yoke. I know that if my brother begins to follow Jesus as Lord, that God has things for him to do. I know ways for him to walk, but those are not things that he needs to do to be in. Those are things you do once you're in. Are you with me? Insiders and outsiders. This is a fantastic lens through which to read the gospel accounts. What if Jesus isn't laying a bunch of burdens on you, friends? What if you don't even need to figure out what to ask him? What if you can just tell them what's going on and that's enough? What if it's possible for you to be on the inside of the kingdom of God even if you're on the outside of many people in this room? If all you've got is NFL divisions as your best understanding of the differences in the church, what if that's enough? What if Jesus would say to you like he said to that centurion that day, go, it's done. And he would turn to his insiders and he said, you're gonna be surprised. What if the NFL divisions is actually a better understanding of all the big words preachers use? Literally, my mind was blown. I don't go to seminary classes and hear somebody say that because we've got to make it sound, we've got to use words like the endonology somewhere. Lord, have mercy. To you on the outside, may God meet you where you are. To you on the inside, may he lead you to meet him where he is. I'm going to pray for us and I want us to take a minute of silence just to reflect on what God may be doing in our minds and in our hearts. If you don't know what to do, silence is plenty fine. If you have a sense on where you are in your life right now and all you want to do is just tell God about it, just tell him. Tell him he hears. That's enough. If you don't know what to ask for, it's okay. 
Um, if you would like, for, it's really gracious to let somebody else pray for you. Um, I, I learned that when a friend of mine in college said, hey man, do you want to pray right now? And I said, no. Because I feel that kind of freedom. Uh, and you should too. Um, and he said, well, can I pray for you? I said, yeah, sure, you can pray for me. I just don't want to pray. Um, and I, I learned about a tremendous grace in letting other people pray for me. Um, there's folks in the back out here. If you got the store to the left, there's some, that's left, yeah? I say that every week, am I right? Just through the doors. All right, great. So just a minute when we do communion, there'll be folks up here and there'll be folks right back here to pray for you uh, if you want somebody to pray for you. But I'll pray for us. We'll take a moment of silence and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Father, um, send your spirit now um, to comfort us where we need it, to afflict us where we need it. Lord, forbid us from thinking our religious activity the ways in which we have lived our lives uh, secure for us a place in your kingdom that is always and ever grace. For my friends in this room that feel on the outside that because of decisions they've made or um, the way their life has looked up till now, that they're just looking for at best scraps from the table, will you give them a seat of honor and let them know that you have one saved for them? And for those of us that, if, um, that feel like we've done a lot, um, and especially if in, in a spirit of exclusivity, uh, feel like we're, we're good because we're not like others, teach us to give up our seat and to come to you again uh, looking for grace and mercy. Send your spirit now uh, to abide in us and dwell with us. Uh, Lord, you promise that... Um, that if we come to you, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And the reality is I know for so many of my friends in this room, life does not feel that way. Um, will you lead us in knowing what it might be like to walk with you? Draw near to us, God.